When we look around us and see the world on fire, many of us feel spurred to action. We want to do something to make the situation better. We see the people affected and we want to help. And to be clear, this is a really good, healthy response. What we don't often think about, though, is how activism requires increased self-care. Without self-care, we are prone to experience burnout, compassion fatigue, and depression as we begin to feel hopeless in our pursuit of justice. In this episode, let's talk about the importance of self-care to help refuel us for activism. I'm Amy Jackson. Let's settle in and get started. You're listening to Just Press Pause a podcast from The Perch, helping you rest, find peace, and experience transformation. Did you know that we owe our modern understanding of self-care to the Black Panther Party? Let's walk through a short history lesson of the origins of self-care so that we can better understand how self-care is essential when we're called to justice work. In the 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr., began to shine a light on the inequities of U.S. healthcare systems. He was quoted as saying, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and the most inhumane. Black and brown people of the time were not only more likely to face medical issues due to inequality in society, including food inequality, social stress, and lead poisoning from their homes, but also they were less likely to be properly cared for by the medical community if they did go in for help. Now, to be clear, I'm talking in a past tense here, (laughs) but this is often true still today, especially when it comes to Black women seeking medical help. But back to our history lesson. On top of all of this, the civil rights leaders began to see activist burnout, and they knew they needed to do something about it. So along with setting up free wellness clinics across the country, the Black Panther Party also began teaching about self-care as a way to counter activist burnout. Chaz Scott wrote in the Baltimore Times, rather than a luxury, these leaders saw it as a necessity and a form of empowerment so they could have the sufficient capacity to continue their work for the long term. And I love this from Angela Davis. Angela Davis said, if we don't start practicing collective self-care now, there's no way to imagine, much less reach, a time of freedom. Living into this, she and Erica Huggins began using mindfulness, yoga, and meditation while they were incarcerated. And then after being released, they began teaching others and even opened centers in several cities for this very purpose. Rosa Parks was also known to practice yoga, first picking it up in 1965 and then practicing for more than 30 years. There's even a picture of her doing yoga on display in the Library of Congress. Dr. Mariam Aziz says, holistic needs of Black communities and Black activists have always been a part of community organizers' tactics. Black women, often queer, pushed other activists toward caring for themselves as a necessary, everyday, revolutionary practice. So what we learned from the leaders of the civil rights movement about self-care is, number one, It's a revolutionary, necessary, empowering practice for all activists. In other words, it is not a luxury. It is a necessity. Number two, it is so important that it needs to be made accessible to everyone. 
I love their focus on making sure that all could have access to the same wellness tools. Number three, it's political because it fights against the inequities in our society and recognizes all people as deserving of care. And number four, it's resistance in a capitalistic society that sees people as machines rather than human beings. So what are a few self-care practices that might be especially helpful to help make our activism more sustainable? Number one, I suggest mindfulness and being present. We will always be in the gap between how things are and the way that they should be. So rather than always focusing on the future and where we're heading, it's important to live one day at a time. Bring your focus here to this present moment. Because this is the only moment that you can do anything in. Be here now. Number two, pick and choose how you spend your time. Often those of us who feel called to justice work and activism say yes to every opportunity where we feel like we can make a difference. Learning what you are best at and saying yes only to those opportunities that are right in your wheelhouse will not only help you be more effective in your work, but also take extra pressure and burden off of you, helping you avoid burnout. We need to get good at saying, oh, I love what you're doing. That's so great. Thank you for thinking of me. I'm not able to help at this time, right? We can see that it's a good opportunity. We can see that it's good work. We can see that it's necessary work. And we can still say, this is not the right thing for me to say yes to. Number three, we need to feel the feels, especially sadness, grief, frustration, and anger. These are legitimate emotions to feel when we are engaging activism work. We need to practice naming, feeling, and processing these emotions rather than pushing them aside to deal with later. I have found that in my own life, uh, when I'm in the midst of of being, you know, part of activism work, it's really easy to want to push aside the hard feelings because in the moment we can't be overwhelmed by those hard feelings, right? which is totally fine, but we have to make space to actually return to those feelings and let ourselves feel and name and process them. If we never return to the feelings, that's going to be problematic because the more we stuff them away, they will resurface often in really unhelpful ways. Number four, we need to learn to practice joy, whether it's watching a funny TV show, dancing to a favorite song, or spending time in a hobby that you love. Activists need to practice joy on a regular basis. When we're in the trenches and everything feels bleak, we need to remind ourselves that even here, even in the mud, even in the mire, even in the it feels like nothing will ever get better, there is joy to be found. Now, this is not to cancel out the pain, but it is to remind us that to be human is to live in the midst of both. This is actually the topic of part three of this podcast series, and it will come out next week. So stay tuned for learning more about how we can practice joy in our lives. Okay, number five, connect with others. One aspect I greatly appreciate about how the civil rights leaders approach self-care is seeing it as community care. Self-care was part of being a good community member, and being a good community member required that you provide opportunities for self-care for others. Together, practicing self-care was the only way to empower the whole community to rise up and keep fighting the daily battles. 
Here's the thing. We can only do so much on our own when it comes to activism. We need to join together. We need to connect with one another. And when we do that, we not only do more good work together, but we're also able to shoulder the burdens and the griefs and the difficult parts of this work. And we spread that amongst all of us. And we share that rather than holding it all of our, on ourselves. So today, if you're feeling a bit burned out, I encourage you to take a break because we need you for the long term. So take care of yourself today. Rest. Find your joy again. Take some things off your plate. And then, when you're ready, keep on going. Thanks for listening to Just Press Pause. This podcast is brought to you by The Perch, a soul care organization in Aurora, Illinois. To find out about my workshops, classes, and products, head to my website now, theperchplace.com.